you're listening to a Mash Those Buttons podcast. Visit mashthosebuttons.com for a full podcast schedule. Guardian. Guardian. Welcome to episode 48 of In Orbit, Mash Shows Buttons podcast dedicated to Destiny and its community. Wherever you are and whenever you're listening, we thank you as always for making us a part of your Destiny experience. My name is Jorge. And my name is David. And on today's show, we're actually going to be going a little bit different than our normal shows. There's no real news to be talking about, but there is a time to reflect on the game. And we're going to be having clips from many different people, past guests, hosts, and also friends of the show involved in the show so that they can give you their experiences and their backgrounds and what they want to see in the future. Today's show is all about Destiny 1, from Vanilla Destiny all the way up through the Rise of Iron. And we're going to be going over what we liked, didn't like, and, ex- and hope to see in the future, I should say. But make sure that you guys are also checking out all the other podcasts available here on the Mash Shows Buttons Network at www.mashshowsbuttons.com. Get involved with us here at InOrbit by sending us questions at inorbitpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to be having the links, the two big links um, that a lot of the information that we're basing on with regards to Destiny 2, in the show notes. They are the big article in Kotaku. Sources confirm Destiny 2 uh, coming to PC and aims to feel like a brand new game. And the NeoGAF article that Jason Schreier himself confirmed a lot of the same information that he's heard. With regards to Destiny 1, we're going to be talking about Patrol, Social Spaces, The Story, Crucible and Endgame, as well as items that we wanted to discuss with regards to the game. And we'll go ahead and start our discussion right there with regards to Destiny 1. Before any of us even had the copy in our hands or were able to play it, a lot of our first-hand experience with regards to Destiny was either the Alpha or the Beta. I know that when I first picked up the Beta, I had very little information or followed Destiny from from its beginning. I'm not going to lie. It was just not on my periphery. I did know that Bungie was creating a new game. I was completely familiar with the title Destiny, and I was familiar that it was going to be their new experiment. I didn't know which way they wanted to go with it. Because from the beginning, it always seemed like their communication about the game and what it was all about was kind of all over the place. It it seemed like a big social experiment. The best way for me to approach these social experiments is just to see how it actually comes out in, in the final product. And that's what I did with Destiny. 
I did pick it up on its first day, came home, popped it in, um, and we'll start off with the beta itself. Um, when I first started the beta, I was excited. It, it seemed like a really cool game. It felt like the evolution of what Halo was going to be with regards to the way it felt, the way it played, the way it, it moved. I liked a lot of the freedoms going to a place that I already knew that, uh, for example, you load up into the Cosmodrome. When you first land in there, and you're walking around, you know exactly the area that you're in. With regards to Halo's worlds, you always went from mission to mission to mission. Everything was static. It didn't really change. And with Destiny, certain things did change. If you loaded up a particular mission, a certain door would be open that you can go through. In many ways, this led there to be a game of where it felt like it was never fleshed out at times. And what I mean by that is this. When you first start up a mission, let's say the very first mission on the Cosmodrome, certain doors were available to be open. And when you went beyond the boundaries and went into areas that were more patrol, things were closed up. Things didn't, they didn't let you progress in that area. And that seemed to me like a little bit of a hindrance. It seemed like an artificial barrier. One of the things that I've always hated about games in the PS2 and 64 era was these invisible walls. And a lot of times this game had a lot of invisible walls. For example, the door towards the King's Watch was always closed. It never opened up until officially, I should say, House of Wolves, where that door actually opened up and you can go into King's Watch. It always seems silly to me that that door was finally open because they allowed you to go into that area. And now with a simple mission, going into a simple mission, you finally had access to that. Why all of a sudden you have access to that? It just seemed very, very weird. So there's also other forms of invisible walls. Everybody who's played the game knows if you go too high, if you go too far, there's an area that's, or, or there's an, a prompt that comes up saying, turn back, turn back, and then a timer. And you'll automatically die. It always felt like the world was constricting within itself and didn't allow for exploration, which is one of the things that intrigued me about the game and the lower levels. When you first start off and you're level 1, 2, you can easily take on enemies that are level 1, 2, even a little bit higher. Eventually, enemies that are level 7 or 8 at that level become a little bit too difficult for you. And as you get higher in levels, let's say you come in and you're level 7 or 8, you go around and you're exploring, you feel more powerful, you're throwing knives because you unlock the knife throw ability. You're unlocking grenades. You're unlocking double jumps. You feel more powerful. You feel stronger. And for me, when I started in the Cosmodrome and I'm driving around, I get to the one area, the grottos. And you get to all these enemies that are all of a sudden question mark level, a.k.a. they're too strong for you. Turn back now. That was always the prompt. They're too strong for you. You need to turn back now. But it always felt like they're guarding something. They're hiding something, some sort of secret mission, a secret weapon. 
that was always one of the things that intrigued me about the Cosmodrome. There were always these areas that you felt that you could go into, that you could eventually explore, eventually get ex extra items or weapons or, or just something. Even if it eventually turned out to be that there was nothing there but an ogre that just, for some reason, was hiding in a cave. That early experience of exploration, of wanting to know what's over there on that side, why is it protected by these higher level enemies, was always something that intrigued me about this game. And it was always a very, very important experience to me. Something that reminded me of other games. For example, in Super Metroid, you could never go to a particular area because you didn't have the green door key, aka the super missile. That was always intriguing to me, wanting to go back to an area to explore it. And that's something, kind of jumping a little bit ahead, something I hope that they address in Destiny 2. Having that quote-unquote green door key, that super missile, or in this case being able to be strong enough to take out those enemies, to eventually open up a cave that has, say, a part or some sort of diagnostic that can eventually become an exotic weapon. Things like that are something that I, I believe are very important and add to the game. Always unlocking secrets. Everybody's favorite, everybody's favorite mission from year two Destiny, I think it's hands down has to be the Black Spindle mission. It gets talked about. Everybody loves talking about that mission because of that experience that you first went through. And there's just not enough of that in that game. In this game, I should say. There are experiences that define DLCs. And the Black Spindle mission was the one that defined the Taken King. It became the go-to weapon. It was an extremely effective weapon in the raid. And it became an, an indispensable weapon for many enemies. For better or for worse. And I'd really hope that they'd go back and expound on that. One of the coolest things in Rise of Iron right now is the Outbreak Prime quest. Whether you use the weapon or not is irrelevant. But the fact that you, you're going from piece to piece, quest to quest, puzzle to puzzle, all in an attempt to get this exotic weapon, shows how much people like diving into the game, doing activities, breaking down puzzles. Puzzles are one of the ways that attract people to activities. And I'll go ahead and pass the baton over to David to expound on, on anything with regards to patrol. But with regards to going back to the original topic of the patrol, there's something about the Cosmodrome patrol in particular that just... It, it had so much potential, and at the beginning allowed for so much exploration and intrigue that made me excited about the future of that game in vanilla. Whether they came, whether they fell short or not is irrelevant. The fact that they instilled that thought in me, that there was exploration to be had, that there was secrets that were, that were going to be open as he became stronger was something really, really cool. Yeah, um, I totally agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, so for me, I, I mean, I started with the alpha and I was kind of in a similar boat to you. I knew nothing about this game. Um, when I started, I got an email saying, Hey, like 
respond to this and you can get an access code to Destiny Alpha. And I'd kind of heard about it from a couple of my friends, but I knew nothing about it. I didn't know what type of game it was. All I knew was it was a, a, a Bungie made first person shooter. So I was like, OK, like, I'll, I'll give it a go. So I did that. And I just remember um, loading into the alpha and going to do patrol on the Cosmodrome and how beautiful I thought it looked. And I mean, me, um, I was a big Call of Duty player at this time, huge Call of Duty player. It was basically all I played besides sports games. So it was unlike anything I was playing at the time. And I just remember thinking like, this is awesome. Um, I had played Skyrim. So I was like, this is like a first person shooter Skyrim is what I was thinking at the time, um, which is what isn't really what it ended up being, but would be awesome if they could incorporate that in the future. And um, I just remember like being captivated by how awesome it looked, which is something that um, Bungie has pushed for with with Destiny. They've talked about that. They want it to look um, immersive, feel immersive, be immersive. And I think with Destiny 2, there's a lot they can do to make it like that. And some of the things that you touched on that I really think um, could help out patrols are like what, like you said, the spindle mission. Um, if spindle style things were in patrols, those those secrets for you to go find, that would be amazing. Um, if they expand these patrol areas and then lock the secrets away in the patrols instead of in um, missions, it gives a whole new meaning to patrols because it makes it so instead of just going through this select area that's in a mission, you have to go through the entire patrol area and try and find the secrets. And hints to that can be hidden in things like special doors and enemies that until you get to a high level, you can't kill on uh, those hints, I think are good and awesome. But uh, destiny patrols um, have always kind of seen obsolete ever since they made it. So you don't have to farm materials because uh, back in the day when you did have to farm materials, you were in patrols a ton more than you ever are now. And I remember uh, when taken King came out and the sword quest came out, people, um, there were some people that kind of had that nostalgia feeling of, Oh, now I get to go farm some materials again. And other people were just aggravated because it took a lot of time. Um, but I kind of enjoyed that. I enjoyed being sent to patrol to do something. And I think, um, in the future with destiny, that's something they should do. They should definitely be sending us to patrols to focus on things like that, because the patrols right now seem kind of obsolete. And that's very disappointing to me because patrols, probably have the most room um for improvisation and improvement from bungie in the entire game um there are things you can do with patrols such as interaction with npcs that they can put in uh, the kotaku article that we put in the links is uh has some big hints at this type of thing where they talk about bringing in towns and more immersive social spaces within patrol and possibly questing through these towns and stores and, and that would be awesome that that opens up patrols to be way more interactive and bringing more players into patrols and i would love to see that because it just kind of makes it so not only do patrols feel more useful but more immersive and it brings you that that skyrim feel that everyone loves um as shown by the fact that everybody bought the skyrim remaster at least everybody who played it um and even more people i'm sure have bought it to to, to try it and feel it because that type of feeling is a great great feeling in a game to just feel immersed in the world and uh another thing you touched on that i wanted to talk about was was puzzles within the world this was kind of on your uh black spindle point as well but i think 
Bungie could take hints from games like uh, Dragon Age Inquisition uh, and the other Dragon Age games. Dragon Age Inquisition wasn't the best game, but one of the things it had that I loved was um, puzzles hidden within the world. So there would be things like, I think they were called obelisks, but um, you'd find these basically star maps. And when you find these star maps, you have to link the stars on your screen in a way to make this uh, pattern. And that would reward you with something, uh, experience or um, some sort of in-game object. And that's awesome to me. Like bringing those type of small little puzzle things into Destiny, I think would be awesome. It's not so much um, a giant community puzzle like Spindle, but it gives the player something to interact with in the game in Patrol, something to search for and look for. And um, like it... I don't know. It's, whatever I'm trying to say, it's it's just that type of thing feels awesome in the game. Another game that does something like this is um, Elder Scrolls Online. It's not so much a puzzle, but they have sky shards. And when you find sky shards, you get a reward. In that game, it's a bonus ability. Like doing something like that that just gives meaning to exploring the entire patrol area, I think would be awesome for Destiny and could totally expand on uh, the patrol world, making them more interactive bigger better um the kotaku article like i said has a lot of points that i feel if we're brought into patrol could be awesome um the year one patrol experience i think was the best patrol experience we had um with destiny because people were in there they had to go in there for farming their materials uh you had the loot cave which brought people together in an area in the patrol and i think that's what bungie needs to push for with patrols because Right now, there is that big argument about um, content kind of getting stale in Destiny. And I think a way of toning that down is making it so people aren't just going for strikes or crucible or repeating the raid over and over uh, after they finish the story. Make it so they want to spend hours upon hours in patrol. Uh, make it so it feels like a giant open world at each planet you go to where every time you go there, you feel like there's going to be something for you. and even making it so there's so many side quests you feel like you could never complete them all, that'd be fine by me. Why not give a bunch of NPCs some little sm small side quests like, oh, there are vandals attacking this random installation I put in on the other side of a mountain. Go defend it. Like, random stuff like that. It, it's just, uh, you know, good stuff that can definitely help out. Yeah, so with regards to what you just mentioned, uh, I think it's safe to say what we would like to see in Destiny 2 is just an expansion of the patrol um, itself. Or to, e to even take it a step further, make each planet a large, big mission, if you want to, if you want to look at it like that. And not just have, for example... 10 missions on a planet, but several different missions um, that are focused, dedicated, or, or I'm sorry, they're dedicated to the story, but you have all these branching side missions, side missions that lead to artifacts, artifacts that might build up your reputation with, say, the Concordat. Um, if, if you guys don't know who the Concordat is, they are the faction that is uh, founded or run, I should say, by Lysander, 
who is one of the founding, uh, who, who's one of the members who actually went up against the speaker in the Civil War. That happened. Um, a lot of this will be, um, if, if you guys want additional information, I recommend that you do the, uh, the Gallahorn mission inside Bannerfall. That mission starts giving you information about Lysander, and you can even get the special hidden ghost that is inside Bannerfall on the Concordat side. And the Concordat side is the one with the green fist. If you go in there, get that special ghost, and then get the Lysander's Cry Sparrow, which is underneath um, Future War Cult, you'll be getting information about Lysander and the Concordat. Why is this important? Um, things like that are what add story in-game. Unfortunately, we don't have the Grimoire in-game. That's just a fact of with, re with regards to Destiny 1. But in the future, it's easy to see that they're definitely going to be involving a lot of this stuff in-game. Um, a lot more communication with NPCs, NPCs that are out there in the patrol world. Uh, why is this important? Going back to one of the games that D David just mentioned, Elder Scrolls Online. There are a lot of NPCs that add flavor and context to the activity that you're going to be doing. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is very important in a game like this adding context and story and reasoning behind what you do. For example, we all go to the Dreadnought and we unlock it for the tower. We set up the beacons. But as this is happening, Lord Shax has his, I think there's the Skipjacks, his special group that clears out an area and, and makes an area safe for crucible encounters. Uh, if you look at the the Grimoire for uh, the the uh, the Dreadnought maps, you'll start seeing stuff about the the Skipjacks and how they went into an area to clear it out. One of the cool things that would have been that that should have been in game is doing a mission with these Skipjacks. You uh, you're in a fire team. Of, with two skipjacks who are opposite classes of what you are. For example, let's say you're a hunter, one of them's, let's say, a titan, and another one's a warlock. And you work, have to work with these skipjacks to clear out an area because Lord Shax wants to lead an expedition down a specific area. And then at the end, you encounter a group of, let's say, ogres that are guarding this special area. And because of your efforts, you unlock the Cathedral of Dusk. One of the things that always struck me about the Crucible itself was that you automatically have access to areas in stories um, at the beginning of the DLC. For example, when we started the Taken King, all of a sudden we had access to um, the, uh, the dungeons. But... When you're inside the dungeons, there's no obvious way of entry into the dungeons. And on top of that, there's no, there's no real reason as to why we're there at that time. What would be cool would be is as you're doing missions and unlocking things and helping, say, the skipjacks or doing something, you unlock items for the crucible. 
it gives context to doing activities in PvE and PvP. If they really want to make the two a continuation of your character to build your legend, so to say, it would be cool to see if certain activities that you do unlock certain activities for, for the other. As I mentioned, let's say a special mission with the Skipjacks to unlock the Cathedral of Dusk. And you go into the Cathedral of Dusk and you're clearing out the enemies or concocting some sort of resurrection spell or whatever. And all of a sudden you have to fight an unborn ogre, kind of like you do on the moon. I could tell you right now, it'd be a cool thing to be dealing with a boss battle in that middle area where there's that monolith or the inside heavy, I should say. And there's an ogre there, and you have to go from one side to the other. On uh, Let's say there's a diamond or something, and you have to destroy that diamond to be able to do damage to this ogre. That's just a, a minor story idea, but I think it adds context to the areas that you go to. And that's really important in a game like this, where a lot of things seem to happen randomly, or just because you went to the next level or completed a mission. There's, there's very little reasoning or rhyme for, for some of the stuff. And the game also tends to reuse areas for, for missions in very weird and peculiar ways. For example, when we first go, and I know to a lot of people this might sound a little weird. It's like, why are you complaining about that? But follow me here. The mission on the Dreadnought, uh, where you finally... Uh, Regicide. You finally get to go and face Oryx. You have to open up a portal, and the portal that you open up leads you to an area that you would go on to anyway if you were to do the um, to one of two things. Either do the strike for Alakul, or if you kill all three of the knights, the, the wardens, inside the, the prison area. You're not really teleported into a new realm. So why does all of a sudden you don't have access to communication with the tower? It feels weird when certain things happen like that. And there's a lot of situations in the game where similar things happen like that. Now, I can tell you right now, one of the coolest missions that where a, a situation happens where you lose communication is the House of Wolves mission where you're going into the aforementioned King's Watch, where they're being jammed by the Surreters. That's a really cool thing right there and a cool interaction. But it would have been cool if there was somebody on patrol or, or a, let's say Varix actually went with you and he's the one who's working on a panel that is being serviced by the Surreters. That, that's what I want to see more in the game, where you're accompanying an NPC Let's say Varix, let's say Cade, let's say Zavala, or someone else. Uh, we, we got a really cool character, and I know people are a little bit indifferent with regards to him, but Shiro, the scout, the, Van, uh, the Vanguard scout, is a really cool character. And he has a lot of opportunities in the future for, let's say, he's working with you. Let's say he's in your fire team or he's leading your fire team. Kind of like a couple of the missions in Call of Duty where Captain Price is leading the mission and he's kind of like giving you directions 
it doesn't have to go full on Captain Price where he's completely in control. But let's say he's he has he's been in that area before. He's like Guardian. I've been here. Uh, I'm gonna lead the way. Once we get here, we're gonna split up and do different things. Do you mind if I chime in for a second? Yeah. Uh, going along with your point, um, if you listen to the new strike dialogue um, in the new remastered Nexus strike, uh, Cade's there and he's like talking. He's like, hey, what's up? And then Akora's like, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? And Cade's like, I'm bored. Like, I just want to help out. Like, it'd be very cool if in doing something like that, I know it really wouldn't work that well with a strike, but in doing this in a mission, if Cade's just kind of like hey i'm bored like i'm gonna come on this mission with you like it doesn't make sense that uh we have these npcs that have to stand in one spot the whole time like why not bring them along like you're saying and there's there's dialogue there that shows that essentially they are open to the idea i and that might be stretching it saying they're open to the idea but the way they're sh- uh, constructing their npcs is is showing that the npcs want to be involved in what you're doing and i think like imagine boss fights where um, you're doing this story mission and you go to do the final boss fight of orcs and Zavala, Ikora, and Cade are all there with you. And it's this huge dynamic fight you have to take part in that's more like um, a strike level to to raid level boss, but you have these NPCs there and then these NPCs can kind of coach you through whatever the dynamic is and that kind of not only helps teach people dynamics, but brings the is NPCs more into the game because they're involved in it. Destiny is one of the only games where NPCs um, have just a structure of I'm going to stand here and that's it. In modern games, in my opinion, a lot of other stories bring the NPCs into the stories with you. You have a team that travels with you. Like you said, Call of Duty does it. Um Skyrim has people who follow you. The Elder Scrolls will have people who tag along with the missions with you. Um, there's all these different games that bring uh, social aspects of the game and the NPCs into your game and your missions. And I think that would help out uh, missions for Destiny a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. I mean, one of the cool things that I was thinking about um, this had to do with regards to uh, the Templar fight. And I know people might be a little bit hesitant when it comes to adding NPCs to raids. But one of the things that's always struck to, struck to me, I love the raids. A lot of the raids are really, really cool. But they've always felt, even at its best with regards to King's Fall, and I'm talking about storyline-wise, not how the raid is, for example. But storyline-wise, they've always felt completely detached from the game. It always felt like its own little thing. It never felt truly integrated into the story. It wasn't until, I want to say, House of Wolves that there was at least some sort of context given to, for example, um, the Vault of Glass. Or even even deeper, it wasn't until King's Fall that a lot of those that items were fully in, interweaved with the actual story. It always felt like you didn't have to engage the raid to, to really have it be part of the story. And that's a real shame. Um, one of the things I've, I, I was... 
that would have been cool, for example, say Vault of Glass. There's no real in-game explanation for the for the shield. And and I'm talking about the Aegis, the the artifact or the relic that you use in the Vault of Glass. Even in the Grimoire, it seems kind of weird and not fully fleshed out. The Aegis is Kabir's power put into this artifact. He himself is the Aegis. And every time you wield the Aegis in the in the Vault of Glass, you're wielding a piece of his power. So when you're using the Aegis, it just felt weird that it, it just showed up all out of nowhere. You never really unlocked it. It was never there. And it, it, it always seemed kind of like a random item put in. What would have been cool would have been, say, for example, you're in, you enter a time whatever, and you're going in and you're fighting the Templar. And Kabir is there with you. And he's using his power to hold back the Templar or hold back certain enemies who are charging. And when you complete everything with regards to the oracles, the Templar finally uh, is able to break through and fires a shot at Kabir or whatever. He, and, he, and he dies. And in his dying breath, he says, Guardian, take my power. And he becomes the Aegis. And like when he's the Aegis, there's like something in your head that says, use my power uh, to take out the Templar. Yeah. Like that, that would have added context to the Aegis itself. And it would have made it so that it doesn't feel like a random tool put into the raid. No, I agree. Um, there's this thing that's been going on with raids uh, where some encounters, you have things where it's like the war priest or Gogoroth, where there's something in the room that makes sense to be in the room. And that's what you use to defeat the boss. And then there are other encounters where it's like, um, like you said, uh, the, the Aegis or um, even in uh, Oryx, where you have his ogres that he creates that drop these random black balls and then you destroy the black balls. And it, it almost seems like, uh, well, they want there to be good mechanics. They're essentially adding something to the game that makes no sense to be in that spot at that time, because essentially the boss is saying, here, defeat me here. I'm going to give you something. That's the only thing that can defeat me versus having a mechanic in place in the room that makes sense to be in the room. And I think if they want to um, tie in raids completely story wise, uh, either do something like you're saying, like that's actually a very good idea. I'd never heard anything suggested like that or um do something where it's more like the Golgoroth slash war priest fight where it's something that makes sense to be in the room and you're essentially turning it around and using it against the boss in a way they would not expect mm -hmm. yeah i i think that one of the missed opportunities for vault of glass and i think it's a fantastic raid and given all anticipation and hints we're going to be playing that in, the, in a few weeks again in whatever form it comes. But it'd be cool to see, and I know we're not going to get this in the next few weeks, just in the future, more involvement with either NPCs or items that storyline makes sense. Um, one of the cool things about Wrath of the Machine, no matter what you feel about it, 
it feels like everything makes sense. The, the first area that you spawn into, the SIVA is created, um, the, the bombs are an extension of the bombs that are thrown by those dregs. And we all know that those bombs hurt a lot. So to use a SIVA against SIVA is cool. The problem with the raid itself was there was no buildup storyline wise in the actual story in the main um, campaign for Rise of Iron that led you to say, okay, this SIVA is being directed by the House of Devils. We know that it is by the Splicer Division. We know that. Who are the Splicers? You don't really know anything about the Splicers. You get little bits and pieces throughout the story. The Splicers are scientists, um, and you kind of get a little bit of a hint with the one strike that you get, the Wretched Eye, with, uh, I forget the, the strike boss's name, but you get that these guys are insane. That's actually, a, you know what? Before I continue... Storyline-wise, that is actually one of the best strikes and one of the most well-developed strikes. It's one of my favorite strikes in the game because throughout the strike, you're getting information about the actual the boss. You're getting some sort of investment. You're getting that this guy is insane. He's mutilating these these creatures. Normally, you would hate them, and kind of like in the in the uh, the the not the yeah, the Fogoth strike remastered um where Shiro says when you put it like that I kind of feel bad for the hive you when you see what he does to the ogre where he has no eye it's completely removed you can see the insides and it's all mechanical and and flesh and gross and disgusting and you're seeing what these these things are doing you're like okay they're not the, the splicers. They're not all there. They're kind of crazy and stuff. It'd be cool if there was more in the story that talked about, you know, the, these splicers, they're not all there. They're kind of crazy and they're going to extreme methods that are even, for example, other houses would, would be like, what are you doing? This is not what we want. We want to, to become, we want to worship these machines, not become a machine. So it seems weird that there's not enough of that in the game with regards to the strikes or even the raids. Well, tagging along to that, I think with Rise of Iron in general, they did a great job of tying the strikes into the story more than they have in the past. And I think the best example of that comes with the uh, Sepix remastered strike. And that's because they put Sepix in the story. And I think that's something they should do more because it's awesome to me that you then get to know this strike boss in the story and then you go on the strike to take him out at a later time. It gives a purpose to that strike mission. It gives the, okay, we've seen this guy. He's been causing us problems over and over again. Now we're going to go on this mission into his home and we're going to take him out and put an end to him. And even just recently, when they brought back the three remastered strikes with SRL, they they did a good job, I think, of making it so the strike dialogue and the lead up to the strikes made you feel like there was a reason for you going back to that place. I've said in the past that I don't care if there's a reason because with strikes, I understand that it's, it's just a type of mission that I'm going to be doing over and over again. 
but I think it was awesome the way they did it. They had really good dialogue between Kate and Ikora that um, explored some other aspects of the story. Um, it just had like little funny things thrown in there. Um, when Kate's talking about Ikora and the Crucible during the new Omnigal strike, like just little things like that tie into the story and expand on your characters and expand on your investment to the story. And that's something I think that, uh, that Bungie has definitely been getting better at. And I really want to see that progress in the future. Absolutely. Kind of to going back to something we were talking about earlier. One of the cool things um, that I was thinking about was in Rise, not in Rise of Iron, but in Taken King, there were a lot of little moments, at least early on, then they kind of went away from it. But early on, there were a lot of little moments where you could pull out your ghosts and scan something kind of like a Metroid Prime and get additional information about the story. And I feel that they, it was a missed opportunity in Rise of Iron that they didn't introduce more of those items like that, where you can get additional story or additional items. That's a way to introduce future bosses, future enemies, future strike bosses, giving them information while keeping the story in game so that not everything has to be grimoire. For example, the last mission, Regicide of Taken King, before you even go into the final room, when you're in the area with the reverse waterfall, if you take out your ghost and scan the two monoliths on the left and the right, right outside of the entrance, there's one that is Crota, and he says this is definitely Crota, blah, 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 talks about Crota. Then there's the one on the, on the other side, and he says, this is definitely a, a hive god by the name of Nocris. And you're like, okay, who's Nocris? Because it's drawing comparisons to Crota. He's one of Oryx's sons. You don't see him in game. There's all this mystique and intrigue. And you're getting, you're getting information about the story. It adds flavor. Um kind of going off topic a little bit but it's really tied in one of the coolest media items that i've 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 ever experienced was avatar the last airbender they could have easily pared down every season into probably 10 to 12 episodes there were a lot of episodes there that were filler but what's the cool thing about the filler the filler is what adds to the to the story, it adds flavor. There's not a lot of shows or media out there that does filler right, and this show definitely did filler right. For example, the whole character of Boomy, he's not that important of a character to the story. You could easily take everything with regards to Boomy out, and the end result would be the exact same thing. But what's so cool about Boomy? Boomy is a mad genius, he's old, he's, he's crazy, he's funny, and he adds another dynamic to the avatar. Items like this add intrigue and elements to the boss, the final boss who you're encountering, and to your character. Because now you're like, okay, we know about the Hive Pantheon. The Hive Pantheon is Oryx, it's Savathun, and I've, 
I can't believe I forgot the last one. But the three si- well, formerly three sisters, now one brother, two sisters. Why is this important? Because it leads to future games. It leads to knowing that this threat is not over and done with when we have gotten rid of the final boss. It leads to, well, maybe we'll be fighting them later on in the game. Maybe we won't. It adds intrigue. You want to know about the story. Everything with regards to the Books of Sorrow and the story behind the Books of Sorrow. That was one of the coolest things about Taking King. I felt like that story was gigantic, even bigger than Vanilla Destiny all the way up through House of Wolves. Everything with regards to Dark Below was, I'm not, I'm sorry, not Dark Below, but the Taken King was just like, I'm here, we're going to make this huge, and it's a big, big deal. That's why, that's why I feel like they really took that extra step with the Taken King, because at that time, they believed that that was the last game in the Destiny 1 experience, and that they were going to take it into Destiny 2. And you just felt like it was a huge deal that you're encountering Oryx, a hive god, a being who takes his power directly from the darkness. And you were going to go into the next adventure with everybody in the galaxy knowing you took on one of the biggest threats in the entire universe and you beat him. Not using his sword logic, but using your own light and your own power and using his own power against them with the hive bombs. That was always one of the coolest things to me. And I really hope that storyline wise, they take it into the next step that they add more story in everything that they do and give storyline meaning to what you do in the game. As I mentioned with the whole thing with Kabir and the, um, and the Aegis uh they they did a little bit with regards to the sword very very little in dark below that they expounded on in the the taken king everything with regards to the sword is based on the hive's sword logic the strongest survives and it's all about their connection to the power respecting those who are more powerful that death is just an expression of your power. They don't fear death. They embrace it in, in a weird, sadistic kind of way. Things like that are, are really, really cool. And I want to see them integrate them more in the actual activity that we're doing. And I want them to add more ways to engage in the story. Use that ghost. That ghost is very, very... The, the ability to get story from the ghost because he reads something or analyzes something. Things that, that pop up throughout the game that I, I've, I've seen, I'm like, what is that about? What does this do? How does this tie into what I'm going to be doing later on? Maybe that's a way to add secrets. The ghost pops out and says, this little thing here is interesting. We may want, want to come back later when we've gathered enough of this or whatever yeah there's definitely um a lot of areas where the story can improve and 
I mean, we've talked about it in the past. The whole community has talked about this, but uh, you're right. Taken King was a was a big step for the story, and I think Rise of Iron kind of furthered that step. Um, they're now focusing on having narrative that pushes and keeps you engaged and is fast-paced, and I like that. Um, when it comes to Destiny 2, I mean, the thing's... I want, I mean, obviously we've talked about it already. I want more interaction with the story, uh, kind of like we, we want with the patrol modes. Um, and the, the story, um, there needs to be, like you said, more actual story in game, whether it be through the ghost or through, um, things you're doing, uh, events in the game. It needs to be more in the game and less on the grimoire. And I think, um, Bungie will deliver when, it, when it comes to this coming up they've they've put people on board they've got new people on board for writing the story there was um an article posted about a bungee want ad up where they want more story writers for smaller story writing so which could mean that they're bringing in more quest lines in the future and stuff like that which i think would be awesome um taken king did a very good job of driving with the story and part of what taken king did was it had this main story and then it had um i think there was three or four separate quests after that kind of furthered the story but what i i would like to see them do instead of that next time is kind of like maybe do okay let's do two or three missions now you get a quest line go do this quest line this quest line is kind of a small tangent from the story, but it adds to it. All right, now come back to the main story. Do two or three missions again. Now go do another quest line. And then that way, when you get to the final mission of the story, it's the final mission of the story. It is what leads up to the raid. It sets in place this next big step for your character. Um, with uh, Rise of Iron, they did a great job of integrating the strikes into the story. They did it so, okay, we've been taping, taking on sepics. We've been doing this. We have um, the Siva, oh shoot, why can't I think of it? Siva Priest, is that what he's called? Um, something like that. But they, but they tied them into the story and making you go off on a tangent. Okay, do this strike now. Do this quest now. And then drawing you back to the story. That not only makes the story feel elongated because the final mission of the story is happening much later in your playing experience, but it also adds to the story. It, it brings extra context to it. And with everything they've set up through Destiny 1, there are a ton of loose ends for them to tie up uh, in the future, in Destiny 2 or 3 or 4 or, or whatever we end up having. Um, there are so many loose ends they've opened to with Osiris, with Eris with the speaker with the traveler and i i think they do need to bring them all back around uh, we haven't even had a Kamal cabal mission yet but a distress signal was sent to the empire over a year ago so i think it's important that um bungie focuses on bringing all these story points back into the game so that people have stuck with it have closure and i think a good way of doing this can be through involving these these side quests and stuff into the main storyline incorporate if they get the type of patrol we were talking about a corporate incorporating the story into patrol is a very possible thing and could be awesome it could be um go into patrol and find this random town to find this person to talk to that type of mission seems weird and it's not the type of story mission we've had with destiny but it's a common story mission in other games that 
is not too hard to design and feels successful, especially because when you find this person, you can you add to the story experience. They have something to tell you. You have something to learn. Um, and I think in this way, Bungie can definitely set Destiny's story straight and put it on the path that I think everybody wants it to be on. Absolutely. Um, one thing I kind of want to go back to, and that's the the identity of patrol. Um, I feel that as you unlocked more and more planets, even though the moon isn't a planet, but for all intents, we'll go ahead and treat it as a planet. As you went and unlocked more and more planets, patrol became less and less fun or in- interesting, I should say. For example, um, Cosmodrome, when you first started, patrol feels really, really good. It feels fleshed out for the time. Um, when you first go in there, it's a pretty sizable area and there's all these different things to go into, different places to go and explore. And it felt alive. It felt like there was a lot to it. When you went to the moon, it felt more vertical, but it still felt kind of weird that you were patrolling the moon. And what I mean by that is this. The hive area that you go into, that is actually some sort of palace, some sort of guarded area. It, it's it's a hive. It, it, if I were to go into any castle into in any other game, it would have tons of guards. It would have locked doors. The main area wouldn't be open. And it feels weird that we're going and easily accessing this hive castle um slash base or whatever it's the temple of crota the, you're going into the temple and there's not much putting up a fight it seems very very weird so what i want to see them do with regards to patrol areas in the future is that when they do go into these patrol areas that they put an appropriate amount of enemies in the areas and make it so that Unless you're actually doing a mission, you kind of want to stay away from a base or whatever. You you don't want to always be in the middle of a base. It doesn't make sense storyline-wise, and it doesn't make sense from the amount of infantry or whatever they got going on there. Um, I, I don't mind being able to go inside those areas. If you fought the appropriate amount of enemies who are guarding those areas understandable but for example the moon is very very small it it seems like it's very vertical there's a lot to the moon a lot more than people give it credit for but the actual outside area is very very small and it seems a little weird and disjointed on how you can access this hive castle or or whatever it is exactly it seems weird that you can go right next to the hellbound the entrance to Crota's realm, his his ascendant realm. And there not be that many enemies there. Part of it, we already know that it is a game that was created with regards to the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. So the amount of enemies that you can put out there is very, it's limited. But part of it is also the way they created the actual area. It, it, it doesn't feel right. 
it, it, it the moon patrol never felt fully fleshed out or or all realized when you compare it to something for example the cosmodrome i like that it was vertical and i and it and it reminds me a lot of for fans of um super metroid it reminded me a lot of criteria criteria is the first area in super metroid that you go into and it's very vertical there's a lot of rooms in the in the tunnels or whatnot and you're going through these different areas so in that i can respect it and 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 it's and, and it's interesting in the inside when you go outside it's very very it's not that interesting so I want them to. I want to see more work done with regards to this. It also seems weird that there are certain missions. Um, the Lost to Light, for example. Let's go with that one. That you're all of a sudden starting inside the Hive um, Palace or whatever you want to call it, right next to the Hellmouth. There's no way that in any other game you would start from a mission from within the high or, or from within the prison or castle without having gone inside of it. It, 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 it feels very weird in that respect. That's a, I or, just want to say real quick on that point. That's a very good point because in year one in all those missions, you kind of started at what seemed to be a reasonable spawning point. It was always outside. It was always maybe at the beginning of the patrol area or at um, what could be a, a start to a different patrol area and then they kind of stopped that with Taken King and then even less with um, Rise of Iron and I think that might be part of what I never thought about this way but that might be part of what is making the story missions now feel shorter than story missions of the past is um, where we start and like you said it makes no sense why you should be able to start in this essentially hostile zone right from the get go yeah, I mean, I mean, I I know I'm sounding like I'm being picky because the Lost of Light is actually one of the longer missions in the game. My problem has always been with regards to the, the way the missions flow, um, and the way that, that that it's structured with regards to the world. It never felt like you were in a truly dangerous place with regards to the moon. There was always this intrigue when you when you first got to the moon and you did the very first mission where everything's locked off and closed. And then suddenly you get there and you realize it's not that locked off and closed and you can go into the 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 the, the different realms of the of the high prison pretty easily and yada yada yada. And eventually in certain missions you start off in the the actual hive palace or whatever you want to call it. For example, one of the missions that you do or um in the April update, let's let's start with that. The strike, the Malak strike. You're starting from within the summoning pits. How? And, and I, I, again, a lot of people are going to they're going to who are listening to this are saying that sounds really petty and like why are you focusing on that? It's all for for me. It's always been about the the big picture. You're in a threaten uh, a threatening zone. You're in an area, a palace, and I always compare these experiences to other games. Unless I'm actually in going into Dracula's castle, why would the next mission 
it, let's say I'm going into Dracula's castle, the next mission would obviously be inside Dracula's castle. Your your job in any Castlevania game is to get into Dracula's castle so that you can fight Dracula. If you're already inside Dracula's castle, all of a sudden, without any context or whatever, just to fight an enemy, which in this case, we're fighting Malak. It, it just seems kind of weird, and, and, and it, it doesn't feel like, storyline-wise, they put much thought into it. And that's always been an important thing to me. And I know for a lot of people, they're, they're saying, Jorge, this, this game, Destiny, isn't about story. The story is really weak. And I always go back to them and say, well, why is it weak? Why not, if they've put all this work in The Taken King to help improve the story, why take the easy way out? Why not continue that restructuring? Why not continue adding story or, or giving storyline reasons? It, 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 it's, it's something that's always been, it, that I've always thought about. It's just like, okay, we already know it had a weak story at the beginning. Just because it had a weak story in the beginning doesn't mean that it needs to continue to have a weak story. Having a, a strike start off in the middle of a ritualistic site for the, for the hive, that doesn't seem right. It, it, would, it, it almost seems like it would have been better if they had... Where you start off on patrol right next to the Hellmouth. Because a lot of people don't realize this, but when you look down into the Hellmouth from patrol, you actually see the area that you're walking around, the circle of bones. And it would have been cool if, let's say, you took a hive tomb ship puzzle into the depths of the Hellmouth, go into the summoning pits because you feel a tinge of the taken energy. And then that's where you like, that's how it begins. And you go through the strike from there. Now, they probably couldn't render it. They probably couldn't do enough with regards to doing that because of the way the, the, the game loads. Even though you can see the circle of bones from patrol, it's not a fully fleshed out circle of bones. And the way they, the game uses these resources, there's points and stops that's why you run into these loading zones. It's because the entire area that's being rendered is only the area that is loaded. For example, the Hellmouth area encompasses everything up to a particular point when you go inside the the hive palace or whatever, and then it's and then it loads up into a different zone and something else is loaded and more detail is added to stuff that you could see in patrol but now is more fleshed out. And that's because that stuff, that detail wasn't loaded up or rendered in game at that time because it didn't recognize that area outside of seeing some sort of visual representation of what that area was. I'd hopefully in, I'm sorry, I was just going to finish the point real quick. Oh yeah, hopefully, in, hopefully in Destiny 2, which we've read a lot about and we'll discuss later on but hopefully in destiny 2 they rendered the entire area and yes they may say for example you're in the polluted zone or in the western can't believe i'm going to say this obviously this is a joke 
but now you're in the Western Air Temple and you're in Fire Lord of Zulon's room or whatever, but it's still all part of one large area. And what we're seeing is that that is in fact what's going to be happening. You're, you're, they're rendering the entire planet and you're able to, let's say, jump down from the Hellmouth into the Circle of Bones in Destiny 2. Obviously, this is not something that's going to be easily done on Destiny 1 because of the way the game and the engine is. is. But hopefully in the future, I see the Circle of Bones from Patrol, I can jump into the Circle of Bones from Patrol. Things like that would be very, very cool and would add a different dynamic to a lot of these missions where it seems like you're all of a sudden in an area that is highly defended and a ritual site for the enemy that you're fighting. And yeah, I, I just, I want more balance. And just because the story was bad in the beginning doesn't mean it has to be bad now. I agree. Um, I don't really have anything to add to that aspect, but I do want to talk about um, social spaces and the end game next, if we could. But before I get into that, I would like to say that Mash Those Buttons is your ultimate resource for video game commentary, reaction, and involvement by a variety of opinionated and informed gamers who love gaming of all kinds. Covering a large swath of gaming, we cover the latest news and information on the games you care about and always provide unfiltered commentary and fun. Check out all the killer podcasts available today on Mash Those Buttons Network at www.mashthosebuttons.com. And actually, before we even continue this discussion, I do want to take some time out and offer you, the listeners of our audience, a little bit of time to go ahead and provide their thoughts. So that's what we're actually going to be doing right now. We're going to take a little bit of a break. and You guys are going to be listening to Chris give his thoughts on what he likes about Destiny 1 and what he didn't like, what he wants to see in the future and thoughts uh, of the game. So go ahead and take it away, Chris. What I liked about Destiny 1. The gameplay was really good. Uh, the controls, very tight. Uh, visually, uh, very cool. Um, it was a totally new concept. Uh, like I still remember going the first time on patrol and just seeing other people playing. And then a public event started, which I did not know was a thing because I didn't read anything about the game before I bought it. Uh, and then a walker dropped and just seeing everyone randomly jump in uh, was really cool um, the first raid I ever did Vault of Glass because I didn't play MMOs or anything like that so the whole concept of a raid was very new to me and just the, the mechanics and everything that went in that was super cool and the the uh, room where you fight Atheon like the actual Vault of Glass I always thought was super awesome looking um and then, then meeting everyone with the whole community, like the the concept of a clan and all that stuff, had never done anything like that before. And I met a lot of really good people who I would call friends through that. So that was pretty cool. Um, didn't like uh, material grinding um, way back when, um, before you could just buy things uh, like relic iron and spin metal. It sucked um, having to go and just take at least one of the play sessions every week that I could get with work and everything. Um, to just sit there and farm stupid rocks on Mars to get relic iron was terrible. Um, the lack of story in the game too. Uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff with Grimoire. It's, uh, it's it's like super dope, but it's 
like awkwardly not in the game. There's just so much gaps. Like the story just became a joke, and it's kind of a bummer because they actually have some really cool things going on there. They just aren't in the game. Um, in terms of why did I stop playing? There's been two times. Um, it's voluntarily. Uh, one was shortly after House of Wolves. Um, did all that stuff. It just I don't know. No raid. Uh, like the little story missions to go through it were cool, but the whole elders thing and all that, the Skullless fight, it just didn't appeal to me um, as much as like actual raids did. They're not huge on PvP, so all those additions and things like Drows and all that just didn't really resonate with me quite as much. Um, the other one was earlier in 2016, um, before the April update. Uh, it, it was just it was the longest content drought Destiny had had um, in terms of like time between new stuff coming in, um, w between when Taken King hit, when uh, when that update happened. So I just got burned out because there wasn't anything new, and then Division came out. And there was just it was just time to go to another game. So those were the two times um, that that I stopped. Uh, in terms of what I've seen from other games that I want, super basic, dedicated servers, just keep it stable. Um, especially as it grows and it's going to be focused totally on PS4 and all that. It'll become necessary um, like getting into like the competitive EVP and esports and all that stuff. It's pretty much, I mean, I don't see how they can sustain that without doing it. Um, and in terms of what I hope it becomes, um, I would love to see it grow to the remainder of the solar system that we haven't seen. Give me the other planets. Uh, I think that'd be super cool. Um, get it to span the whole thing. Um, yeah, that's what I got. So once again, that was Chris Parker, who gave his thoughts on Destiny 1, 2, and what he wants to see in the future. But I also want to take this time to introduce a former host and still an important part of the show, Jarrett Redding, to give his thoughts on Destiny and what he wants to see in the future. Uh, my feelings about Destiny changed over the time that I played. I played Destiny for about a year and a half, uh, from you know the opening beta to you know a little bit past the Taken King. But in the beginning, I, I really liked Destiny because, well, first of all, it was just the, uh, uh, the the shooting mechanics and the controls were very solid. It felt like a great shooter. I didn't have any trouble with target acquisition at all. I mean, I usually come playing games on PC. So going from PC to console and shooting, it's usually um, a, a little rough in the beginning. But it wasn't like that with Destiny. With Destiny, I was just able to pick it up and, and go from there. So that was the first thing I noticed. And then, you know, the, the great controls really helped in both the PvE and PvP. So the Crucible was very... It was at the very least it was fun to play in the beginning because you didn't have to worry about shoddy controls. I mean, if you missed a shot, I mean you missed a shot it, at first, then it became lags problem. But we'll get into that later. But um, yeah, that's why I, I think I like that, and I like the fact that it was very easy to link up with people, at least people that you knew in game. Like if you were already controlling, you didn't have to come out, or if you were in a mission. You didn't have to come out of that mission to come pick somebody up. They could just hop into that mission with you, hop into patrol with you. It was very simple. And it really added to the social aspect of the game, even though it really felt like Bungie <laughs> didn't think that much about the social aspect, since small stuff like team chat and the Crucible wasn't available at first. But I think those are the two things that I really liked about Destiny 1, and they led to me playing for a very long time. 
what you didn't like about Destiny 1. Alright, so there's quite a few things that I actually didn't like about Destiny as I continued to play. First was the lack of content. I mean, you know, I played Destiny Beta. I think a lot of people played Destiny Beta. And we we were all excited because the beta was pretty cool. But when you got out of the, you know, when the when the actual full game came out, you quickly realized that the beta was one-fourth of the entire game. And the game itself, if they didn't force you to do things on patrol or, you know, go on these collection missions, you know, in the beginning, it, the game itself wouldn't really last that long. The game was not long. And then on top of that, when they came out with DLCs like The Dark Below... And then after that, it was House of Wolves, which House of Wolves was better than Dark Below, simply because Dark Below was a piece of shit. So, you know, it, it, it was such a short expansion for the amount of money that you paid. I mean, to this day, I'm like, Bungie owes me at least $20 for what I paid for Dark Below. They, owe, they need to give me $20 of that, $20 of that back. So lack of content was my, my biggest thing. The game was very repetitive. Uh, you know, you're always you're constantly going back to the same raids. You're doing the same strikes. And then even the uh, the crucible gets repetitive because you're playing the same maps, but that's a you know that's a little bit more forgiving because you're playing different people. So yeah, the game just had a, a lack of content, and then to get the new content, it, it for DLC it was premium price DLC. They call it an expansion. It wasn't truly an expansion, and I think that's what really got to me. Then another thing I didn't like about Destiny was how cheesy the game was, and I mean and and. The PvE content, sure, cheese is fine. But in PvP, that's where I started to have a problem with cheese. I mean, the Crucible is fun, like I said before. And I enjoy the Crucible. But the fun aspect of the Crucible wears off pretty quickly. uh, And, you know, when you have the cheese factor added to it, like, you know, when you have hunters, you know, doing like, uh, I forget what the name of the move is, but like the warp jumping above you and then coming down on your head with the shotguns. Or the fact that you can shotgun somebody from a super long distance, the slide shotgun factor. You know, all that was a problem. Even to me, like the supers were were, were cheese, you know. And that, that I always say, it, like when I used to run at Orbit, I, when I used to be the, the main host on Orbit, I would say Destiny is made out of cheese. Because it was. Destiny was built to make players feel powerful and legendary and stuff like that. So, you know, having a, a, a fucking Titan bulldoze into an area and just pop a special off without any type of repercussion, because, you know, when you do your specials, you're pretty much invisible. That's a problem. And then I'm pretty sure, I'm actually depending on how long you play, I'm not sure if anybody remember the, the, the old uh, Arc Blade, the Blade Dancers were damn near un- un- unstoppable. And then the only thing I could stop the blade dances were the shotguns. So what'd they do? They nerfed the shotguns. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, the cheesiness of Destiny is what got me because the-, the fun factor only lasts for so long. After the fun factor wears off, the thing that would normally keep me playing a multiplayer game is the competitive aspect and trying to play it to get better and better, and then having that show as I play. But when you play a game like Destiny, the skill ceiling, or the Crucible, I should say, the skill ceiling is set very low. The learning curve is not very curved at all, and then you just have this layer of cheese on top of it. I mean, Destiny doesn't even have footsteps in the game, so you can't hear if somebody's coming up behind you. You can't use, like, you know, sensory perception in that game too much, and that is one of the things that I really really started to get to me. What made you stop playing if you did? I mean, ultimately, the thing that made me stop playing was the cheese factor 
of Destiny. I mean, you had rocket launchers that not only that locked onto you, you had rocket launchers that when they detected when the, when the rocket would detect it was near somebody, it would just explode. You didn't even have to hit the person or anything around them with the rocket. You have rocket launchers that would explode and turn into small explosives that would then chase somebody. And that was allowable. That That's too much. That's too much cheese. The shotgun issues remained. I mean, I hopped into Destiny not long ago and ran a couple Crucible matches, and I was still able to just, you know, air people out with a shotgun with no problem, even though I haven't, I haven't played for months. So the cheese factor was a problem. And the repetitive nature of the game was a problem. I mean, I just, I just couldn't play anymore. The game didn't feel rewarding. What made you keep playing? Well, honestly, there's really only thing, one thing that kept me playing, and that's the social aspect. I put my friends played Destiny because it was a popular game, obviously. And then I met new friends playing Destiny. Uh, no thanks to Bungie, but yeah, I, I met new friends. So I had a lot of people uh, to, to play with. And... You know, if they wanted to get together, hop in the tower, and then let's run some missions, let's run a strike, let's run uh, a raid, let's get in the Crucible. I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so most of the time, like when we would play a Crucible, we weren't even really concentrating all that hard on playing the Crucible. We were just talking and playing and joking and having a good time. And that was it, really. Like, I, that's what kept me playing. The people that I played Destiny with kept me playing, but eventually. That was not enough. What you've seen in other games that you want to see come into Destiny? Uh, I would want to see better sound cues coming to Destiny. Destiny really doesn't have any sound cues, so I mean, it's hard from a, uh, a audio perspective to know what's really happening in multiplayer sometimes or in the crucible sometimes like i mean, like overwatch has great sound cues that's one thing they did great with the game like you know there's footsteps first of all <laughs> you know footsteps are fucking important right uh and and a multiplayer shooter and destiny doesn't have that but you know you can based on the footsteps you could tell what type of characters coming towards you you could tell what type of moves are happening you can tell if somebody is like doing their super or their ultimate, or whatever they, they fucking call it in Overwatch, the Q button. Um, but that's what I would like to see. I'd like to see Destiny have a better audio design because that is, their audio design of Destiny is currently pretty weak. What you hope the game becomes in the future? Uh, in the future, I hope that Destiny takes into consideration more than just one class of player. I mean, when Destiny was a, a, a initially created, it definitely uh, was trying to accommodate to the lowest common denominator, and that only works for my time. Like honestly, if I didn't have the people to play with that I had, I wouldn't have played Destiny for more than six months. I would have been off of Destiny already. Uh, but it was the people that kept me in. So you know, Bungie kind of got lucky with that. I think that's with a lot of people. A lot of people just play Destiny because their friends play it, and they all lean on each other. But, you know, they, they, if you look at Warcraft, right? Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft specifically, it accommodates to new players, it accommodates to casual players, it accommodates to hardcore players. Right now in Destiny, I think if you are a hardcore Destiny player, that pretty much means you play Crucible and Trials of Osiris. But what if you wanted to be a hardcore PvE player? 
uh, a hardcore raider. Like it just doesn't really work like that, especially because the raids are so are designed in such a way that they're so easy that they get cheesed. You know, they just. Uh, I mean, after a few times running a raid, that's probably you'll probably just do it successfully every single time. I know that's what happened to us. You know, after you know you you beat the raid the first time. You know, whether it took you a week or two weeks, after that, it's, it gets pretty simple. So, uh, I think that Bungie needs to figure out how can they make it, how can they make the game work for multiple types of players? Because it's definitely possible other games do it. I mean, look at Overwatch. There's a there's a hardcore uh, uh, section of Overwatch of uh, players that you know they they break down the characters and they come up with a meta. Uh, you know, and they play that way. And then there's also a light, uh, you know, like a casual section of Overwatch is very, very possible. And I don't see that being uh, the case with Destiny. Right now, Destiny's in a place where you're either uh, hardcore or you're not. And that means you're either player or you don't. And that's pretty much it for people who've already completed the game. That, that That's about it. So I think uh, Bungie really needs to figure out how to accommodate the game for for different types of players if they're going to try to do this whole MMO thing because you need you can't just accommodate one type of player if you're going to be an MMO. So thanks a lot to Chris Parker and Jarrett Redding for their thoughts on Destiny and what they want to see. We really appreciate all the involvement from all the different people who sent in recordings. We have a lot more recordings that we're going to be bringing up in the next episode actually. And because of the time we're going to go ahead and take a little bit of a break right here. We're going to end this episode. So make sure to tune in next week for part two of our analysis of destiny and what it means to us and what we want to see in the future. So David, why don't you go ahead and wrap this bad boy up? Well, we want to thank you all for listening to In Orbit, as always, to let you know we are available on a ton of platforms, so please make sure you're spreading the word. The best way to do this is to share In Orbit with others. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Overcast for iOS, Google Play Music, Stitcher Smart Radio, Player.fm, Pocket Cast, and we also have an RSS feed. The links are available for each platform right on Mash Those Buttons website at www.mashthosebuttons.com. Make sure to stay tuned after the show to hear what's coming this week on Mash Those Buttons. And make sure to check out the other shows on Mash Those Buttons Network at mashthosebuttons.com slash shows to see all of our podcasts. For questions regarding scheduling, check mashthosebuttons.com slash schedule for all scheduling details. Make sure to check us out on twitter.com slash site, facebook.com slash mashthosebuttons, youtube.com slash mashthosebuttons, David, where can people find you at? You can find me, as always, on Twitter at DS underscore Bolt and streaming on Twitch, twitch.tv slash DS Bolt. No spaces, no underscores. All right. And as always, you can find me on all the different social network sites and gaming screen names at GoToNRG on all locations. Make sure to contact our show with any questions to inorbitpodcast at gmail.com. My prior events are not a memory. It is momentum. It advances, leads, and controls. Points and directs. Shapes and forms. I may not enjoy what lies in front of me, but as in any story, the past needs resolution. We are the authors, the finishers of our fate. What is in my past is my prologue, 
and what is in my future is my destiny. On behalf of the entire In Orbit team, David, Jordan, Jarrett, and myself, we thank you for listening to our show, and as always, we'll see you on the next mission. Your destiny calls. Thank you for choosing a Mash Those Buttons podcast. Here's what's coming up this week on Mash Those Buttons. On Monday, January 2nd, Jorge and David transmit in orbit, this week looking back at the last two plus years of Destiny, discussing its highs and lows. On Tuesday, January 3rd, Nick and Katie continue their quest to educate you on WoW lore on the Torn and the Goblin. This week they're talking about what they want for characters in 2017. On Wednesday, January 4th, Jarrett, Mikey, and Bond bring you the latest in Overwatch and its community on Watchpoint Radio. This week talking about Overwatch's solo experience, the May glitch on 3v3, and giving Bastion his shield back. On Friday, January 6th, Mike, Rob, and Luke bring you SitRep Radio, talking the latest in the division and the state of the game. To find more information on all of our shows, go to mashthosebuttons.com shows. And to see our full podcast schedule, visit mashthosebuttons.com schedule.